Hello and welcome back to another episode of the Black and White Sports Podcast. As always, I'm your host, Quentin Corpuel. Joining me today to talk some NBA, Will Vanderwall. Will, I'm doing pretty well. How about you? Good to hear. Good to hear. Uh, I'm doing, it's been a whirlwind of a day, man. A whole lot of news. We've got um, Russell Wilson being traded in the Mile High City. We're going to get to that later. Now, Calvin Ridley being suspended for betting on games. We have Aaron Rodgers somehow not being the front page of social media in the NFL world for at least 24 hours. And, dude, Bellarmine wins the A-Sun championship, but they're not eligible to play in the tournament because they haven't been in Division One long enough. So Jacksonville State, who lost in the semifinals to Jacksonville, who played in the finals and beat Jacksonville State in the semifinals. Jacksonville State's going to the tournament because they were the regular season champions because that makes sense. To college basketball is weird, man. I don't, I don't know why that rule is in place. Um, it's dumb. Bellarmine should be going to the tournament or they shouldn't have been competing in the A-Sun tourney at all because it sucked because their fans stormed the court afterwards and now they're not going to even play in the tournament. So yeah, yeah, that's that's that. That's got that grinded my gears. That yeah. that did not make me happy. People are also getting paid too. Like Aaron Rodgers got paid. Like Devontae Adams got paid. Well, franchise tagged, but uh, Mike Williams got paid. Shout out to Mike Williams for having half of an amazing, amazing season, getting <laughs> forty million in guaranteed, and watching bit, yes. not be good next year. Amazing enough. Um, but yeah, he was, he was a bunch of guys got franchise tags. A whole lot of things going on today. But the original plan for this episode was to talk about the NBA. And I'm going to redirect us back onto that course. Because today we're going to be talking about a few teams in the league that are kind of struggling at the moment. Uh, we're going to break down their struggles and what the rest of the season holds for them. Will, I want to start with your team. Let's start with the Golden State Warriors. So Draymond Green... His last game before he got injured was January 5th. The Warriors were 29-8 then. Mm -hmm. Since then, they are 14-15, including losses in nine of their last 11. Um, The Grizzlies have caught Golden State for the two seed in the West. Uh, Will, what exactly has happened to the Warriors, and how do you think they can get back on track? Um, I mean, it's a combination of the uh, Draymond loss, because after they lost Draymond... It was January 8th, right? January 5th was the last full game he played in. Fifth. Okay. In that span, they had, like, a couple of losses in the middle. And then one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine straight. Now, those nine straight weren't anything special other than the Jazz. And I think KD was out this point at the Nets, so I'm not even going to count that. Um like, you do rattle off nine straight, but then it's like you face harder teams at the end, like the Mavericks. The Timberwolves are up there this year. Um, Mavericks twice. Uh, Lakers, LeBron has 56. Um, Nuggets um, lost again. And Draymond's definitely a big part. He probably would have helped with the LeBron problem, probably would have um, just helped with uh, Doncic. But it's kind of just – Defense in general. Um, past couple games, Nuggets 131, Lakers 124, Mavericks 122, Timberwolves 129. 
that's not a winning formula. And if you think about it, they substituted Draymond for Kuminga, essentially, um, in terms of playing time and that starting spot. And Kuminga's just not as good of a defender. Now you're going to get more points, even though it hasn't translated, because everyone's kind of in a weird, not like a slump, but they're not playing their best brand of basketball. It just looks a little disheveled right now. I think when we talk about the most valuable players in basketball, like like literally the most valuable players like to their team, mm-hmm. Draymond Green, right up there. Like, mm-hmm. right up there. Like, I feel like a not, not a lot of people understand this, but Draymond is the point guard of the Warriors' offense. It's not Steph Curry. Stephen mm-hmm. Curry is a shooting guard. He does not direct the offense. He does not initiate actions on ball. Like, he'll obviously create off the dribble some. But he's mostly just moving around off ball. It's what a lot of his offensive movement is. Draymond's job is to quarterback the offense. And watching the Warriors' offense without Draymond, now you could obviously point to defense, like you just said. Obviously, Draymond is being missed on the defensive end, too. I'm going to talk about it in a second. But watching the Warriors' offense without Draymond, their net ratings haven't plummeted or anything like that. But they just look like they're missing someone. Like, I think something that makes a team like Phoenix so good right now is that Chris Paul and Devin Booker can both not be in the lineup, and the Suns can still look like a high-powered, well-functioning offense. Mm-hmm. Golden State, that is not the case. Um, the vibes are just not there. Now, it's easy to have high vibes when you're winning, um, but just right now, I mean, you see Clay Thompson just, like, visibly beat himself up. When he's not playing well, that's that that's this has been kind of a low point in vibes for the season. That's crazy considering what they were at the beginning. Mm-hmm. Like they were, it was just constant euphoria. It was just like this constant high that the Warriors were on, even if they were down. As long as they got just like a small spark, they could get going, and that just hasn't been the case yet. And for like for me personally, energy is a real thing that helps and hurts teams. I mean, like there's been so many examples of that recently. Uh, the Knicks throughout a rough patch they went through any sign of positive energy was not found um on the positive side look at memphis like their vibes are eternally high and even if they do lose even if they play in a close loss like they're still feeling good about themselves this hasn't been the case with ace with the golden state and steph mentioned it he was like yeah we're in a rut and um i'm gonna get to in a little bit how i think they're i think they're gonna be fine but have you been concerned? What, what, what one thing has been most concerning to uh, you? Not getting better with Clay Thompson. Mm. I think that everyone was like, oh, like, it's fine if he's not um, 100% there. Like, it doesn't matter as much. Yada, yada, yada. But it's that he's not really he's more viewed as like old clay it's like it's immediately old clay thompson and that is very apparent that at the moment it is not old clay thompson he's only shooting 50 percent for adjusted field goals that's below like Otto porter and it's below jordan Poole, and it's even below draymond by a good chunk um it's just like he's playing like number two minutes and like in situations where a number two should be playing, but 
he's really like number two B. I think at the moment, Wiggins is that second player. Um, I think Clay Thompson's after him. But I don't know. It's just like Draymond goes out, Clay Thompson comes back, and the Warriors get significantly worse. And I think Draymond's absence has forced Clay Thompson to take on more of an on-ball role, which he has never done mm-hmm. throughout his entire career. Like, Draymond's absence has had ripple effects on, like, individual players and how they play their game, too. And I think one of the, the, the player that's probably been affected the most, other than, I guess, Steph, is Clay, Because Clay's not being set up for those three-point opportunities. Like, you see, whenever the Warriors run their beautiful basketball, a lot of the times it's Draymond finding those guys. Yeah. And even though, like, you go back to them needing Clay, um, diverting away from the Draymond point, like, the Warriors' wings have been playing very well recently. Like, Jordan mm-hmm. Poole has averaged 26 over his last three games, shooting nearly 61% from the field, nearly 58% from three. Had eight threes last night against Denver. Uh, Moody Mose, I mean, Mosey Moot, I mean, Judy, Judy, Banana Fan of Foodie, Mimayo Moody, Moses Moody, Arkansas legend, dropped 30 last night. And mm-hmm. Jonathan Kaminga continues to be pretty impactful, I would say. Yeah. But at the same time, it's very apparent that you talk about them looking like they're missing Draymond. They are missing the clay of 2015, the pre-ACL tear. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that's They're... just not the same clay right now. Yeah. Also, whenever it was long stretches without Draymond, you would have, like, Kevin Durant to fill said role. Um, you would have, before that, it was Andre Iguodala who – like also play makes and plays like Draymond to an extent, maybe like same on defense, uh, a little bit different offense, but like Iguodala was like initiating the offense. That way Curry can run off of more screens um, and find that. And I really agree with you with that, like missing the um, like double ball handle ball handler offense. It's like sharing the roles between Curry and Draymond. Now it's like, it's Curry and, only Curry. Yeah. I mean, Andrew Wiggins can take you off the dribble. But then it's like, okay, are we really relying on Otto Porter for on-ball scoring? And that's mm-hmm. what kind of worries me. I think what concerns me the most about them long-term is their inability to match up with teams inside. And this has kind of been exacerbated with Draymond being out. All right. So... With audio issues on this podcast, it usually happens, like, later in the episode, but it was it was feeling a little generous today, so it happened, like, 12 <laughs> minutes in. So that was a nice game, but we're back. We're going to continue right where we left off. Um, I was talking about how, with long-term cons- uh, concerning the Warriors, I think my biggest concern with them, like, throughout the rest of the season, I think is going to remain, is their ability to match up with teams inside. I mentioned quite frequently how I thought it would have been a good idea to trade for Miles Turner just to give them someone who can match up with Jokic and Aiden and even a guy like Steven Adams, who is pure brute force inside. Now, I think this has really been exacerbated with Draymond Green being out and James Wiseman having not played the entire season. Like, especially if Wiseman isn't coming back, which I've heard reports he's ramping up which is positive, I guess. The Warriors just don't have the size down low. And that's where, like, if I'm Denver, I wouldn't mind playing Golden State in the first round right now. 
Like, last night, Jokic was getting whatever he wanted inside. Like, literally mm-hmm. whatever he wanted inside. Like, the Warriors tried to run zone, and a lot of the time it was either poor, poor Kevon Looney on an island inside, or, like, Juan Toscano would get switched onto the five a lot of the time, and it was just barbecue chicken from there. Um, is that something that concerns you as well? Yeah, because I, I think Jokic is probably the biggest Warriors killer that there is. Probably Jokic and Giannis. I would say a big man that can handle um, because not only is, are they a threat to post up um, and take out a smaller Warriors defender if they do decide to, which it's even, it's really impossible to like pack the paint in the NBA now. Um, just is, even if you do try to like pack the paint or something, they'll just drive past someone, kick it, get it right back uh, with positioning. Um and that to me is terrifying. Um, <laughs> not to mention the Nuggets are absolutely built. But yeah, I would say that interior defense, like need need Wiseman back. Just it's just physical presence. I mean, at Memphis led at the NCAA and blocks, but just need something. If I say that worst case, Wiseman would be like a if Evan Mobley was actually playing like a rookie um, and that Evan Mobley actually playing like a rookie would be very, very, very helpful. Um, I mean, you just need, you just need bodies down there. Like if Ludi is getting worked and like, I know Bielitsa is six ten, but he's not a five. Like he doesn't play, he doesn't play down low. And when he has played down low centers, usually hunt him. Yeah. The Warriors have, worked very well with big men when Kevin Durant's out, for example, Bogut. Yeah, I was about to say, like, the title teams, like, size kind of didn't matter in the Durant seasons. But at the same time, like, Bogut was still important. Yeah, even though, like, like, technically in the title seasons, like, for a second you had Zaza, and then you had JaVale McGee, and, I mean, Durant's seven foot anyway by any stretch of imagination. So that counts. And Durant also took up that like interior defensive role. He was like always um, completely flying under the radar for, um, I think it was like third in blocks um, for at minimum stretches, but I think like a couple of years, but just like that interior defense, just like hold down player really helps because the Warriors are a small team all around. Like, Clay's a big two, but Clay's also technically the tallest one on the court. Um, outside of like a center position. Yeah. And when you think of like the Warriors championship teams, like look, Bogut and Zaza, like they're not the two best big men you could have, but like they could compete with big men down low. When you think of like I remember in the bubble taking the Blazers to beat the Lakers in the first round, I was like, okay, Damian Lillard is lighting the world on fire. Who is guarding him and CJ in the backcourt? But I failed to consider that the lone real big man they had was Yusuf Nurkic, who looked like he was going to pass out five minutes into every game, getting a lot of foul trouble. And, like, they had Wenyan Gabriel, but, like, they just didn't have the guys down low 
to compete. And it's harder for a team like that has a lot of guards, but no big men versus big men, but like little guards, like the guards, you're like too reliant on them to like score. But with big mm-hmm. men, I feel like the, bur- the, the burden is just uh, far lesser. Yeah, on that's them, what... if you know what I'm saying. We saw that with the Blazers team in the bowl. They just couldn't compete down low despite Damian Lillard being yeah. awesome. I mean, that's why the, like, big man thing, like, oh, like, you don't – you just need a serviceable big man. Like, yes, you need a serviceable big man, but you need a serviceable big man that's going to play, like, that understands the role. Like, Bogut understood his role. Think about it. The Miami team had – Chris Anderson there and the first year they don't really do so well and they get lit up by Dirk Nowitzki the last year they weren't really feeling it again interior defensive wise Spurs team you got Tim Duncan on the inside think about OKC Thunder throughout the entirety minus Steven Adams for two seconds just didn't have a big man except for that last year um like, you just need a serviceable big man, and the teams with the best big men right now are playing really well. You got Denver, you got Philly. I mean, hell, Giannis counts. Yeah, yes, yeah, I was about to say Gian- Giannis um, counts. I mean, and it's just like, it just, I mean, the Cavs are literally the, if the Pistons big men were all amazing. Like, <laughs> it's just just big bodies out there and they're just playing really, really, really well. That's such a, that's such a fun little memory from last season when they were going all in on big men. Oh man, what a time to be alive. Um, but Hey, in conclusion with rounding out the warriors, I actually think they're going to be fine. Like yeah. right now I would still pick them to win and get a seven game series over anyone in the West, but probably Phoenix right now. And even then I still think the series would be pretty close. I think a Memphis series would be pretty close too. I still think Golden State would win, though. Yeah, I'm glad that the Phoenix series would be like the Western Conference Finals because by then everything would have turned probably in the right direction. This Warriors team's kind of reminding me, like, you get a brand-new iPhone at the beginning of the season, you're like, ooh, shiny. Uh, forgot it's slick. Drops. Small little crack. Let's call that, like, the Draymond injury. Like, Clay comes back. Like, gets screen replaced. Like, cracks multiple times. Just waiting for another screen replacement in Draymond coming back and Wiseman coming back. Mm-hmm. Um, now, look, I'm not saying like they would breeze past Dallas or Denver because I think both of them would actually present pretty tall challenges, especially mm-hmm. considering how Dallas has been playing, um, how they've turned it around, and especially considering Denver, what we saw last night. Um, but hey, I, I still think they're good. Like, we still have to recognize that they have like juggernaut. And then we can't just forget about what the Warriors can be and have been with everyone healthy. Yeah, they're still number two in net rating. They're hilariously number 11th in offensive rating and number one in defensive rating, which is always the funniest thing in the world about the Warriors teams. Yeah. Um, but, I mean, yeah. All right, sweet. Let's move on to another Western Conference team. Uh, let's talk about the Lakers. I personally find it concerning that LeBron drops 56 and the Lakers barely win. I don't know about you. Uh, not so much for me because I don't know. I feel like when people go off for like crazy big margins like that, like 
it's kind of just like you need points to come from somewhere, so it's going to come from someplace. But LeBron but, shot. But but how consistently can you get it from that place? Yeah, I know. I mean, think about it. Like Cavs, LeBron drops was it fifty points in game one? They lose. Twenty eighteen, yes. Yeah. yeah. I mean, LeBron shot 61% and 54% from three. It was actually 92% from the lot. Which... Are you talking about the 56-point game the other night? Yes. Yes. Well, that's and... what I'm saying. Like, how consistently can you get these kinds of performances out of LeBron? Yeah. But how about that crazy performance and he's, number... he's tied for number three in plus minus? Yeah, there's – he's – he should be in – the MVP discussion somewhere. Yeah. Um, I don't know about in like the top four, maybe five, probably six or seven. But I mean, I, I look at this Lakers roster. First of all, I want to make something clear. I do not think the Lakers season is over for all the BS that has gone around all season long saying the Lakers season is quote over. They clearly do not know that their Lakers regular season doesn't end till April. So their season is literally not over for another month. And even when the regular season ends, like they're probably going to be in the play-in where we could legitimately get a Lakers Clippers play-in for the eight seed. How fun would that be? Yeah. That would be like Battle of LA, but like the but like light, L-I-T-E light. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Instead of the Western Conference Finals, it's the playing game. Yeah. Damn, what, what another such a funny time period. Like fall twenty nineteen. <laughs> I remember being in L.A. There were Clipper billboards all around. And I, <coughs> I said to myself, I don't think anything's changing. Even though I did pick the Clippers to win the bubble finals, things have not changed. I have yet to go into L.A. past that time and see a single Clipper uniform. So that is what I, I'll say about that. <laughs> I think another thing to think of the record, too, Obviously, injuries. LeBron's only played 46 games. Anthony Davis has only played 37. Anthony Davis isn't going to play for the next, I think, four weeks. Um, yeah, you can – it's just – it's weird because it's a whole lot of different things. I think, number one, it's a whole lot of guys that just, like, don't fit together, but now they just got to make it work. Um, but at the same time, like – there's a entirely small, but a possibility that things do click into place. Well, yeah, you always have a chance with LeBron James on your team. That mm-hmm. fact has been proven with numerous teams. Look at the 07 Cavs. Yeah. Look at the 2018 Cavs. Yeah. You can make the finals if LeBron James is on your team. Yeah, I mean, you can also win with just LeBron and Anthony Davis and do you – which Lakers lo- roster do you think top to bottom is better? Do you think – like, aside from how they're playing, just on paper right now, do you think this roster is better, last year's roster better, or the championship one? Definitely not this one. This one is at the bottom. Because you look See, at last year, look at the guys they had. Look at the guys they had. They had Caruso. They had KCP. You look at the bubble finals. Like, Ron, like Rajon Rondo. Like, they were huge. Like, especially, I want, do want to go back to the wings. Like, they don't have anyone to defend guys on the wing. This is going back to, like, the beginning of the season. This has been a thing all season long. And they could have had Buddy Heald 
and possibly DeMar DeRozan. Now, I'm not saying I foresaw this DeRozan season happening. I don't think anybody did. I don't think anybody foresaw DeMar DeRozan having, having his best season at age 32. Okay? I, I, I do not foresee that. But they could have had that. But instead, they gave up KCP Kuzma, who is white hot right now in Washington. I think he just needed to change scenery. We have KCP Kuzma Caruso and a whole bunch of other stuff who are direly need guys like them are direly needed right now in the Lakers. And instead they have Russell Westbrook, who, first of all, so the people that are sending death threats and involving his family, and his wife. wife and children, that's not okay. Like yeah. at all. When it goes beyond basketball like that, unex- absolutely unacceptable. I'm here to condemn that. I want to make that clear. Okay? But just Russell Westbrook has he had he has I I'm at a lot I'm talking in circles. I'm thinking in circles. He's he hasn't been what the Lakers have needed him to be. He's not played up to that level. And if you're looking at do-over scenarios, I think the Lakers do do the heel trade. I don't think the Lakers do it, but a lot, if we're doing revisionist history among a random sample of 100 NBA fans that have watched the Lakers, I don't think the Westbrook trade happens. Yeah. Yeah, it's, it's a roster where it's like it's impossible to pick out like how to solve the problem, but it feels like it could be solved. Well, it, unless they get a hand it's of like God the, from the buyout market, like, no. How, how else are they getting better right now? Are you banking on an Austin Reeves revelation? Well, I I'm love like, Austin Reeves, but... I'm banking on them just flat out playing better. Like, this is probably the worst that it could have gone. I think the Pelicans game was the low. The Pelicans game was the low point. But I, I just think that, and again, they already, they're not supposed to be peaking now. Same thing with all four of these teams. Like, you don't want to peak now. I mean, I don't know. It's 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 to me, it's like the, God forbid, I, go against LeBron. Like, <laughs> seriously, like, he missed. They missed the playoffs last year. No, they lost in the first round to Phoenix. Right. Well, then the last time they missed the playoffs was eighteen nineteen. That was LeBron's first year. Yeah, and LeBron didn't play for like twenty games, and like when they needed him to play. Yeah, he hurt his groin in the Golden State game. I remember that. Yep, and then he didn't play for like. 20-some-odd. They were like the three seed at that point. But it's like, I just... It's like the damn Tom Brady thing. Like, you just... You don't go against the greats because it doesn't look good. And it doesn't work. I I mean, LeBron's averaging 29 right now. Yeah, I'm keeping, like, a a pebble of hope. Like, a pebble of hope solely because the Lakers have LeBron James. Now, what have we learned since 2003... If you have LeBron James on your basketball team, you can go to the NBA Finals. Now, I know the West is like a little more wild cardy than the East. I know the Lakers have shown <laughs> to be the furthest thing from a Finals contender this year. It's just you can't count out LeBron 
Um, even though, like, I have no idea what I'm going to get from the Lakers on a night-to-night basis. I have no idea if we're going to get a game, like, where Malik Bunk was hot. That stretch of time. Mm-hmm. I don't know if we're going to get a game like the Warriors game where LeBron is unstoppable. I don't know if we're going to get a game like the Pelicans game. But LeBron James is on their basketball team. So I'll keep a mm-hmm. pebble of hope. I got one final question for you, unless you had something that was really piquing your interest. Is Russell uh, Westbrook on the – oh, go ahead. Say, playing tournament 8-9-10 or 7-8-9-10? 7-8-9-10. 7 plays 8 and then loser that plays 8 versus – or plays 9 versus 10? Yes. Okay, so theoretically the Lakers just have to get to the 8 seed. I think if the Lakers – if the Lakers can play the Grizzlies – that's what they want to do. Yeah. That is I think, it's yeah. a young team versus a veteran team in the first round of the playoffs. I think that that's what – unless they want a Phoenix rematch. No, they want the – you would much rather have Memphis than Phoenix. I just Especially because, like, if, if, you're, if you're Memphis, like, who is – are you putting Triple Phoenix, J on LeBron? Phoenix reads me just like a really good regular season team. Have you opened I, up a rabbit hole? Do you th- what is what, what is this leading to? Like, obviously went to the finals last year, but and it's like, obviously they deserve to go to the finals. It's like you can throw injuries and stuff, but like Phoenix, I feel like was going to make it there anyway. But to me, they just I don't know. They just feel like a good regular season team. Are you implying that they're not going to be as good in the playoffs? I'm implying that they can't necessarily take it up a notch, but all these other teams can take it up a notch. Okay. Okay. All right. One last thing on the Lakers. Is Russell Westbrook a Laker next season? It's impossible. Well, it's not impossible to move that contract, but it's damn near impossible. I wouldn't be surprised if it's either. I know it's kind of boringly diplomatic, but like, I, I I can't with Russ sometimes as a basketball player. I can't with his defense a lot. I can't with his decision making sometimes. Um, it, it hurts. It hurts the basketball team, and he's a great basketball player, phenomenal attacker, and when he moves off ball, good things happen. And when he gets a triple double, like the Lakers usually win. But it's the, it's the little things that kill me sometimes with yeah. Russ. Yeah. To me, it's just kind of the high usage rate, high shot tendency. Like, just flat out just needs to take less. Yeah, I, I personally think he ones. just need, yeah, just needs to decrease his, not only just usage rate, just like his volume. Yeah. You know? Okay. Now, this is a sentence I didn't think I'd be saying about a week ago. Let's take a break and get positive. Let's talk about the New York Knicks. All right, so I was prepared for this segment to be all negative about the New York Knicks, but then God came to Tom Thibodeau and was like, hey, man, this has to stop. You substituting in Evan Fournier for Cam Reddish after Cam Reddish is literally playing the best basketball he had up to that point against Phoenix. You just leaving your young guys, who are solutions to very simple on-court problems, 
Just leaving them on the bench. This has to stop. You have a lot of really good young guys on your bench. Probably have one of the best young cores in basketball. And you should probably play them a little more. And Tom Thibodeau, recognizing this divine intervention, finally succumbed and said, fine. And they go out on Sunday night on national television and wreck the Clippers. Like blow them out of crypto.com. Catalyzed by a six-man rotation of quickly, McBride, Barrett, Reddish, Sims, Robinson. Will, it was glorious, man. Nick's Twitter, still recovering from the Phoenix game, was elated. As was I. It was just so refreshing. It's like after eating something really spicy or after eating something that requires a refreshment and you drink it and you just go, ah, that was me watching the six-man rotation kill it. Not only against the Clippers, but against the Kings. And have these last two games been a facade? Maybe. But this is... (laughs) There's a great contrast from what had been one of the rougher stretches of basketball I've ever experienced as a Knicks fan. Mm-hmm. And that is saying a lot. Well, every game seemed like a new low point. I'm going to tell you right now. I was watching the Phoenix game in my hotel room in Indianapolis. And I was touring Indiana University the next day. And I had to be up early. So at halftime, I was like, all right, I'm going to pack it in for the night. And if the Knicks lose, I will have been happily sleeping instead of staring at the ceiling in painful agony. And thankfully, I went to sleep. I woke up the next morning, saw what transpired in the second half, and I was like, hmm, glad I did not have to go through that. And scrolling through Nick's social media after a horrible loss, just an absolute treat. Thankfully, it has been alleviated by the last two games. But we still have to talk about them, in my personal opinion. Because up until Sunday night's victory in L.A., the Knicks had lost 17 of 20, dating back to January 17th. Again, Every loss seemed like a new low point. There was the excruciating loss to Minnesota on January 18th, in which it was like one of those like wars. It was like it was anyone's ball game. They lose to the pre-trade deadline Pelicans. They got killed by Jose Alvarado and the and at MSG. They get smacked by the Grizzlies on national television. They blow 20 plus point leads to Portland, OKC, and Brooklyn, the latter of which was just Wow. And then the Phoenix game. Another second-half meltdown and a coaching catastrophe for Tom Thibodeau. Well, I would like to get an outsider perspective on, uh, excluding the last two games, th- this Knicks meltdown since, uh, since mid-January. What have you been thinking about regarding these guys that have made me angry a few times over these past two months? Uh, first thing, you guys played a whole lot of good teams. Aside from the first three losses in a row, which is Charlotte, Timberwolves, and Pelicans, played Clippers, Cavs, Heat, Bucks, Kings, and Grizzlies, Lakers, Jazz, Nuggets, Warriors, Blazers, OKC, Nuts, without everybody, Miami, 76ers, 76ers, Suns. That's not the gift of a schedule. After Dallas, Grizzlies, and Nets upcoming, you got Blazers, Wizards, Jazz, Hawks, Hornets, you get the Pistons, you get Hornets again, you get Magic, you get um, Wizards again, you get Raptors at the end. So, like, your schedule looks like it's getting better. I think you 
went through the worst part of your schedule with the worst part of your season playing wise and kind of just went, yeah, and put them together. So I think that's number one. I think the other thing, it sucks that you can't have an Emmanuel quickly floater every single possession. <laughs> that might be the most unstoppable shot in basketball. So we, we should go to the patent office. Like, I'm serious. You should, like, patent that move. And, like, the quickly floater is a very certain kind of floater. And I love it a lot when he shoots it because it usually goes in. Uh, number three is you don't have anybody. Your top five points per game in most games played, like those two combined, you got Julius Randle, R.J. Barrett, Evan Fournier, Alec Burks, Kemba Walker. Now, none of them are shooting above 42% from the field. Correct. Julius Randle is having a statistically worse season than he was in 2019 when Knicks fans wanted to literally, like, physically oust him mm-hmm. from New York City. R.J. Barrett, 41.5%. Evan Fournier, 42%, but he's mostly shooting threes. He's shooting 39% from three. Alec Burks, 38%. Kemba, 40%. Now, I don't don't know. It's just not – and then you got Mitchell Robinson shooting 77%. Like, go him. Um, Is this roster really – Do you know what I mean by that? It feels like a what kind of roster? Like a Duke roster, but you're not getting the production. What do you mean by a Duke roster? Can you please explain? So, all of these players, some form, played on Duke teams. And it's kind of like the, why doesn't Duke win the national championship every single year if they have, like, a very good roster? Just they simply don't. Like, Julius Randle to me is reminding – reminds me a lot of Zion. Not in, like, the – just, like, in the way that he gets points, in the way that he fills the – like, statistically, looks like Zion. Shoots free throws a bit better. Okay, R- RJ – Fournier could be any sharpshooter that you have on that team. Alec Burks is, like, your fill-in man. I guess is different as Kemba like would be considerable to a Kyrie. It's not like they played at the same time, but Kemba just doesn't feel like he's done a whole lot. Well, he's also out for the season. But like, even when he was in, like, I'm not saying like at this point during the slide, but like when you guys were playing well, like Kemba was there, but Kemba wasn't really like, he was playing better right before he got injured. But like, I don't know. Like, Mitchell Robinson just seems like normal Duke big man. Obviously, you got Cam Reddish now, too. I don't It just – it's like, on paper, also for all four of these teams. I guess, aside from Bulls. Bulls, on paper, don't make sense. On paper, should work. I think it's free throws and – 
percentage as well. The only person shooting above forty percent from three is Derek Rose, and he played twenty six games, and it's hurt. All right. Well, let me tell you something. Let me tell you something real quick. Uh, basketball reference does not tell the whole story. I completely agree. And this is why I'm about to say a few things. I'm going a little splurge here, so bear with me. One, I think it's officially time to embrace the youth movement. It, 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 just, it, just, it just makes sense. Yeah. And it, it's been emphasized with a coach like Tom Thibodeau, who's just reluctant to play younger guys, who is in a situation where there have been countless times the younger players have played better than the veterans. Like, it's really dumbfounding sometimes. You know, like, now I'm not saying, like, Julius Randle shouldn't start. And we, see, we saw last night against Sacramento what he can be. Like, there have been nights where Julius has gone out. He, he wants to kill somebody. And he's played TV very Julius. well. Yeah, national TV Julius is statistically very good. Um, and for even in a lot of games where he's poor, like, he, at the very least, he gets off to very good starts. Um, but when he's on... Like, he's a pretty – he's pretty tough to stop. Like, the combination of size and, like, athleticism, it can be lethal. It's just a lot of times the shot hasn't been falling. And he forces it. He does. Now, but back to the youth movement thing. Like, when it was up in the air, who should start at point guard after Kemba and Rose were out, it was like, all right, let's get some energy up in here. Let's start Emmanuel quickly. And then Tibbs was like, I give you – Alec Burks, who has never played point guard before in his career and is a guy that I think is a backup wing who, again, never played point guard in his career. And Emmanuel Quickly and Deuce McBride are sitting right there. And you want to know what happens when Quickly and McBride play a lot? Good things have happened in these last two games. There is more energy. There is more passion. There is more aggression. Like, with Emmanuel quickly, even if he shoots one of nine from three, there's this energy that he's constantly playing with that Alec Burks cannot match. Like, no one on the Knicks, forget about just, like, point guard, just the Knicks in general, I don't think they play as, no one plays with as much energy as Emmanuel quickly. Even if he's having an off-shooting night. And Deuce McBride is just constantly going hard. There are no lapses in effort. There are no lapses in concentration. There are no lapses in defense or offense. No lap- lapses. That is what has defined the Knicks a lot this season, is just lapses. There are moments where Julius will just jog back on defense, and his man just sprints right in front of him, and he realizes, oh, I should probably sprint. At that point, it's too late. There have been countless missed defensive rotations. Uh, I have wanted to punch Evan Fournier in the face a few times. Because sometimes he's a a traffic cone on defense. He's a traffic cone on defense a lot. Um, But again, the young guys, quickly, McBride at the guard position, energy. And we saw it when they got a lot of minutes together. Just constant, constant energy. And that that has helped bring the Knicks back. Um, When you look at the big men, like Jericho Sims brings so much energy, a different kind of energy. That even uh, Taj Gibson, who has been really rock solid. He's just bared too much of a burden. He's played too much. Mm-hmm. He is a, a bench big. And with Sims, like, thank God his energy showed. It has shown these past couple of games. Because, like, in Summer League, he was jumping out of the gym. 
Like there was this constant gravity around Sims, this aura, this energy. And against the Kings and Clippers, like even in the pick and roll, like on rebounds, like he is leaping to get rebounds. Just so great to see. Um, at the forward spot, Cam Reddish, like not playing Cam Reddish really at all. And then Tibbs selling him out for Fournier late in the Phoenix game when it was like, okay, we need a great on-ball defender right now. Reddish is the obvious answer and has been playing really well. And then Tibbs is like, nah, Fournier till I die, baby. Now, again, there are moments where I love Evan Fournier. But when he's not hitting threes, he is a zero. That's what he did on the Celtics. He just when he's not playing against the Celtics, <laughs> he, he's, he's, he's a zero. Yeah, I mean, also just with the Celtics, he was kind of a zero. Um, I think another thing with the Knicks team is like, you got to build a culture. If you look at the teams right now that are, let's just say, dominating sports, like you have cultures on those teams. Maybe the Knicks need to embrace the young culture. Maybe they need to embrace the fact that they have mixed ages. Like I would say like middle to younger ages, but like Miami has a culture. Miami, it's like next man up, like let's go. We're all working hard, playing hard. That roster is just loaded as well. 76ers has the Embiid culture. I think that having a single player as a culture just is a thing. Yeah, Giannis, like, Ja. Exa- exactly. Ja's kind of built the culture around the whole team, though. Exactly, I but it, it's, it's, makes... come, it's come from Ja. Mm-hmm. And, and his not... vibes have spread throughout the entire city yeah. of Memphis. But I think they kind of have to, like view themselves as, like, give me, like, a Toronto or, like, a Cleveland where it's just, like, the vibes are really high right now. Or even the, like, think about the Knicks last year. Like, the vibes are really high because they weren't supposed to do well. It's really easy to build a culture when you weren't supposed to do well and you're doing well. Like, the Grizzlies or the Bengals or, again, the Cavs. Like, you just got to find a way to, like, not only, like, build a mojo and, like, have confidence, but, like, if you can build a culture, the culture stays forever. And I'm saying, like, at least a seasonal culture. That's the thing that's annoyed me with Tibbs just being so reluctant to play the young guys because I think the young guys have a chance to build that culture. Mm -hmm. Like, even Um, though the culture was defined last year by Julius Randle, like a guy like Julius Randle blossoming, them – being supposed to not even win 25 games, them getting home court in the playoffs. Like, I think the young guys have a chance to build a culture. I think quickly, McBride, like when you talk about New York City, tough guys survive. You look at like the Giants, the Super Bowl teams, like Coughlin, Parcells, tough guys. They succeeded. Like mm-hmm. the Rangers, I know hockey's a naturally tough sport. But like in the 90s, like Leach. Graves, Messier, tough guys. Like the 2014 mm-hmm. Cup team, Crides, uh, Stefan, like Zook, uh, Haglin, uh, uh, Mary, like Marion Gabrick, Dan Girardi, tough guys. Mm-hmm. It's just like, Mc, like McBride has such New York City energy. Like he gives off such New York City energy. That's why I loved when we drafted him at 36 because he's just a grinder like Mitch is just constantly battling. Now, does he foul still foul too much? 
yeah, but he's fucking embodies New York City. Like Julius can embody New York City sometimes, but it's sometimes not there. RJ fucking Barrett. RJ Barrett. RJ Barrett. RJ Barrett. He is where basketball reference doesn't tell the whole story. Yeah. Man. Where where RJ Barrett is blossoming right before our eyes. Like mm-hmm. he is like fully blossoming as an on-ball scorer and is beautiful. What I love about his on-ball scoring, like every time he gets the ball, something that is contrasting to Julius. I don't mean to hate on Julius right now, but when Julius gets the ball, it's kind of slow. Gets the ball, he like meanders. It's like, all right, I'm going to get into my post up. When RJ gets the ball, he is like going fast, but it's like controlled. Mm-hmm. It's not like Russell Westbrook where he's going a million miles an hour on the, all the time. And he can get out of control, but RJ, he's looking to attack every single time he gets the ball in like fast motion. Like there's this constant like, like, ener- like energy mm-hmm. to him that has grown as the season has gone along. Like making him more of a focal point on offense, I think has been happening lately, and I think it should continue to happen. You know? And back to my original point, the Knicks right now are 27 and 38. They're few games behind the Hawks for the 10 seed with, I think, 17 games left. It's kind of difficult to make up, and I think the goal for the rest of the season should be to get the young guys more minutes like they have against the Kings and the Clippers, like giving quickly 30-plus minutes a night, like giving McBride up 20 minutes, giving Cam 20-plus minutes, and also, like, I think getting in the lottery and playing the young guys, it has a lot more benefits than making the play-in right now. Mm-hmm. Like, if they make the play-in, they probably lose to either one of the Hawks, Nets, or Raptors. Like, they likely lose there. And playing the young guys, it's a win-win. Because if they're awesome and carry the Knicks to wins, sweet. Like, not only are they in the play-in, but we have a bunch of guys. Like, a bunch of young guys that we can help build around. And if they aren't winning games, like, at the very least, the lottery odds will most likely improve. So, I just think if it's a, it's a win-win, if quickly, Sims... Uh, Toppin when he comes back, Grimes when he comes back, uh, McBride, Reddish, like all those guys get more minutes. I just think like you can't lose if you're the Knicks right now, if you do that. Because like if they keep playing Alec Burks 35 minutes a night and they're still losing, it's not even like you're getting the young guys action. You know, like if you're losing, you at the very least want to get Emmanuel quickly and Miles McBride action. Does that make sense? Yeah. So that is that is my one wish for the Knicks the rest of the season. I know it's only a two game sample size, but damn it, I've been impressed. And I've been very happy, especially after we lost seventeen of twenty before that. Um, all right, let's move on to the Chicago Bulls. So record wise, they're not quote struggling to the extent of the previous three teams we talked about, but they have lost five straight to the Grizzlies, Heat, Hawks, Bucks, and Sixers. They are now ten and eighteen against teams with above five hundred records. The only other playoff team with fewer wins versus above 500 teams is the Lakers. The Bulls are also now 0-14 against the current top three seeds in each each conference. That's a major yikes. Now, one thing these five losses have in common, the Bulls have gotten destroyed on defense inside. Memphis out-rebounded them 61-41 including 21 boards from Steven Adams. Against Miami, that was a different issue, actually. The Bulls shot 7-29 from three. That did not help. 
Um, against Atlanta, Atlanta was getting to the line all night. They shot 28 free throws. Chicago only shot seven. Against Milwaukee, the Bucks were killing Chicago inside, especially late. Like, the Bucks were getting, like, offensive rebound off their offensive rebound. Against Philly, Joel Embiid was doing whatever the hell he wanted inside. Like, the Bulls, they ran a line from the third quarter of DeRozan, Levine, Kobe White, Derrick Jones Jr., and Javante Green. I was like, what? And they kept running no center line, zone lines in the fourth quarter, and, like, it, it, it wasn't working. So, they're, 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 the main issue here is in t- the interior defense. Like, I love Vooch. He's very good. He quietly anchored some actually pretty solid defenses in Orlando. Um, ah, I just think this is a really big issue. This goes back to what we were talking about with the Warriors with interior defense. Like, I just don't think they have the guys, you know? Yeah, I, I agree with you. I think free agency and all that stuff, they went after guards and wings and tried to shore up those positions. But, I mean, they got Vooch, but, I mean – also lost marketing like I know marketing really only had like a great rookie year but I feel like kind of with the Warriors problems like you just kind of need bodies inside like just some sort of rotation of big men with positive production yeah like they were playing they've been having to play Tristan Thompson Thompson in crunch time that (laughs) that alarms me that is really alarming to me and look their perimeter defense with all their guys healthy, I've talked about this before, is really good. Caruso, mm-hmm. Io, Patrick Williams, Lonzo Ball. Mm-hmm. Damn, man. And like, that's good. Also, like, their top two scorers, DeMar DeRozan, Zach Levine. Like, Zach Levine, not the um, greatest defender, definitely serviceable. But, like, DeMar DeRozan is also, like, a good defender. Like, their perimeter defense is good. I think another point just, like, about this entire season and probably why the – I mean, we keep mentioning big men, but, like, the Cavs, like, killing teams inside is just, like, really showing these top teams, like, you need big men. And that's what makes me nervous about the Bulls and Warriors, especially because in both conferences there are big men that have the ability to kill teams that are undersized inside. Especially in the East. Yeah. <laughs> Um, but see, what are, what do you think the solutions to the Bulls are? Cause the Bulls don't have this like, oh, like we're getting Draymond and probably Wiseman back at some point. Like, is your solution to play Vooch, like rotate him? Like, oh, I see, let's say I see MB checking in. That means that Vooch is checking in. Like, no, because you said it. It's not like they're getting a guy back that's going to help their interior defense. Like, I just don't think Tristan Thompson's good enough. Like, I think another thing that makes the Suns great is because they have a lot of big men that can compete down low. It's not only Aiden, it's Biombo and McGee. Like, they mm-hmm. have size. Like, when they were running the small zone lineup, like, if, if Vooch goes out, God forbid, like, they literally do not have a backup plan other than Tristan Thompson and, like, Tony Bradley – who is going to get murdered. Like, the small lineup, like, even though, like, it's DeRozan, Levine, Kobe White, DJJ, Javante Green, like, they're going to be fine on offense. It's just defensively, when the playoffs are all about matchups, like, I don't see how they compete inside. Unless one of 
Embiid, Giannis, like somebody gets out of bio, Mobley, Allen, one of them, God forbid, gets hurt. Something happens to them. I just don't think they can compete inside. Like I just, I, I just can't see. I just can't see it. I can't. Mm-hmm. That's what makes me really, really nervous. Mm-hmm. Also, in this stretch, though, Caruso and Lonzo haven't played. So, I mean, I that's certainly going to help on the perimeter. But, but when I, Joel Embiid is getting whatever he wants inside, I don't think that's going to matter. Yeah, I think that it's just like the we can't fix the problem, so we just have to make all our other strengths stronger. I don't know, I, man. That's such a big problem. I just, um, I think that the Bulls are another like going to be a really good regular season team, but they just got to fix a couple of things in the off season. And then have people have the same season. Um, I just, I don't really see them, even like during the stretch, it's like DeRozan, again, is playing his best brand of basketball and has to continue it. Um, I guess the Celtics in the first round are a good matchup as of right now. Yeah, it's because it's not like Robert Williams is going to kill you on the inside scoring. Like, yeah. Every like a lot of the other bigs in the Eastern Conference. Even honestly, everyone that's the four seeds, I think Miami's probably the best team that they could play as well. Because Bam Adebayo is just not as dominant as Embiid and Giannis. But on the other end, I think Miami is actually like a pretty bad matchup for the for the Bulls defensively. I just think that. Philly and Bucks are worse. I'm saying of the top four. Oh yeah, Philly and Milwaukee. So, like, that, that's of, yeah. I do not want to play either of them in the playoffs if I'm Chicago. Right now, the playoff schedule's looking like the best chance that it could be right now. So I think their goal is they have to retain the four or five seed, and Cleveland's what are they? I want to put that at two and a half in my head. Games back. Mm-hmm. 17 left. I mean, they do – again, Cleveland's just a horrendous matchup for them. Um, yeah. I feel like for all four of these teams, we don't have, like – if you were coach for Bulls right now and just coach so you can't make any moves, like, what are you doing? Like, who do you, who do you want to see more for, more from? In terms of like your own your own team, yeah. Like, what do you like? Or maybe you're not coaches. Like, what do you think's the solution for the Bulls? Just ride it out. I mean, yeah, that's all you can do. I mean, like you said, make your strengths stronger. Mm-hmm. I mean, just hope that you're going to get awesome DeRozan nights and you're going to get awesome Levine nights, and the perimeter defense is going to suffice for a lack of interior defense. Mm-hmm. But I think now that we've learned that. Guarding the inside, if you were lacking in having, you would rather have bad perimeter defense than bad interior defense. Like, it's bad to have either. Mm -hmm. But I think you would rather be a little weaker on the perimeter rather than inside. I mean, this goes back to everything we've talked about, big man. It's just like a more, it's just more reliable than perimeter. Because, like, you'll allow, like, let's take Steph, for example. You'll allow Steph to take threes from like San Jose. And it's if he's just making those, like, like, there's nothing you can do about it. Like, yeah. it, like, you'll let that happen. Yeah, it's more so of, like, 
you can only guard it to a certain point where it's like with the big man, it's like you can stop them from getting the ball and you can defend them better inside and you can just make the shot harder and clog the lane and force them to kick it out. Where it's like with the perimeter guy, it's like if they're on, they're on, but it's like. But hold on, wait, that kind of count, that counters our the argument we've just made. We're saying that it's harder to guard inside than outside. Because outside, like, you can throw guys at Steph to make it harder. Like, with inside, like, with someone like, I'll take a historical example. Like, Kareem is constantly, like, the great big men will constantly draw attention inside. Mm-hmm. Like, constantly. Like, even if they're having, like, a, quote, off night, drawing attention inside, I feel like it's better than drawing attention outside. Oh, I was just getting at the point of you want to have better interior defense than perimeter defense. Oh, yes. Because, like, the offensive – I was going to say the offensive player is going to either kill you or hurt you. Like, you can't really do much to stop it. It's like you can do more with better interior defense to stop a big man than with better perimeter defense to stop a perimeter player. I agree. Okay. Before we close out, major football news today. Russell Wilson has been traded to the Denver Broncos. So, the full deal, the Seahawks sent to Denver – Russell Wilson, and a fourth-round pick. The Broncos, in return, sent Drew Locke, Noah Fant, Shelby Harris, two first-round picks, one this year, one next, and two second-round picks, one this year, one next. Will, let's start with hmm, Seattle. What do you think? What, What did you think? And what are you thinking right now? Um, see, Seattle's weird to me because Seattle's Seattle to me would have been better off, I think, with Russell Wilson because you don't know what's happening with um, the 49ers. You don't know what's happening with the Rams. Like in the terms of a year, this year slash next year, because after next year, I want to say it all falls apart for the Rams. And after this year, like, what's happening with the Niners at QB? Like, will Trey Lance be that guy? I feel like this year was a year that they could be the two seed in the NFC West, which is like, how considering. They won so few games, but it's like Russ didn't play well and wasn't healthy. I think that um, the Rams are going to end up taking a step back because they had the Tampa Bay Bucks no injuries type thing. Or at least, I mean, they had Robert Woodson and they got Odell Beckham. Like, yeah. Um, also, I think like Cooper Cup and Cooper Cup probably had like the best season he's going to have. I say that there's going to be slight regression just because defenses are going to adapt to do what he can do. Um, and the Cardinals just still can't figure it out. So I don't, <laughs> I mean, I think, I think with the Cardinals thing, it's like not having D hop was just such a big, like negative that I don't think enough attention was brought to. Um, but I just, I don't know. I think that the Seahawks were still contenders. Like, even when they had just gotten Russ back 
and they weren't even playing that well. I'm like, this is a very dangerous team. You got Russ, you got Tyler Lockett, you got DK Metcalf. I don't care who else is on that roster. Like, those are three very dangerous players at three very dangerous positions. You've also got Bobby Wagner. They just you... released him. Damn. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, what? Like, literally two minutes ago. You're absolutely joking. Nope. Man, the pa- it is really – see, if the, you know – you or – if you or a friend is a Seahawks fan – just uh, reach out to them because it is, it is all falling apart right now. I just – I also don't think that – unless their goal is just to lose at this point, I don't think that there's a good QB replacement. No. At the moment or there, like – There's not. Next year is going to be a good QB class, right? Better than this year, yes. With C- In terms of uh, – well, draft class at the very least, yes. It should be CJ Stroud – and uh, Bryce Young. Those are going to be the headliners. Yeah. I think maybe they're going for them because think about it. They get two first-round picks. You get Noah Fant, who's, like, very, very – I still think he's – I, I think he's good. I think, yes, he's, I, I think he's good. I also agree. I think that he's good. Um, Got to build the O-line. Um, and then defense, you got first-round picks and stuff, so you can kind of just shuffle those around. And that's where they get. They got number nine this year, and they got a first – 2023, they also got two second-round picks. Yeah, one this got, year, one they next got, year. Uh, they got nine and 40 this year. Yeah, so... I also think that you can flip Drew Locke for, like, a missing piece. I don't think that Drew Locke gets you somebody crazy, but let's say you can flip him for, like, a good right guard. Like a serviceable right guard, because I think the Seahawks just like are missing players. Yeah, I agree, and I, I mean for me personally, I think Seattle was just stuck. Mm-hmm. Like I just didn't, I, I just didn't really, I just don't really see how could, they could have gotten like better enough over the next few years to be able to contend. Now I know the NFC is kind of wide open. I mean, especially after this year, when you consider the Rams, how are they going to juggle? Uh, their finances. Tom Brady is no longer the Buccaneers QB. I know the Packers are running it back. They're probably the favorites right now. Mm-hmm. You um, see the Dev- Devontae Adams franchise tag too. Yeah, they, and they tagged Adams, so they're running it back this year too. Um, and then, like, look at everybody else. Like, the Cowboys, I guess, are up there, but they still have major holes that they need to fill that I'm not Lost sure they – Amari Cooper. Yeah, they just released Michael Amari Gallup. Cooper. Um, and I mean, you look at everybody else in the NFC. I mean, everybody else in the NFC North: Lions, no; Bears, no; Vikings, no. Everybody else in the NFC South: Saints. Like, even if Jameis comes back, I, I, no; Falcons, no; uh, Panthers. Saints, okay, scary take. Saints win that division, like by a good enough margin, too. Because... I mean, like it's. It's plausible, but like I, I just—is Jameis really taking that team to new heights? I mean, I know they were pretty good with him in. They were what five and three. They remember how good they were with Teddy Bridgewater. Oh my God! Another fun little forgotten about period of time. Yeah, what were they? They were they were six and zero with Teddy Bridgewater, and Teddy Bridgewater lands himself at the Panthers, and then goes to Denver, and well, now we just got 
replaced, but it's like, but, but like even like when New Orleans, like how are they juggling their finances? I know they've like maxed yeah, out their they, credit card and keep maxing out their credit card, and we're wondering if they're ever gonna get like consequence. They're ever gonna get consequences, but like I don't know how they're juggling finances. Look at the NFC East, Washington, who tried to trade for Russ off three first rounders, and I guess either Seattle was too deep in talks with Denver. Um, either Seattle didn't want to trade into the NFC, which I actually think is totally possible. Um, or Russ didn't want to go there. I mean, that's not a good look for Washington. Giants, no. Eagles, no. I mean, you look at the NFC West. The Niners, like, I don't know what I'm getting out of Trey Lance. Yeah. I just, he's still a question mark. Uh, the Rams, like, I still think they're going to be in it this year, even though no OBJ, most mm-hmm. likely. Um, the Cardinals, I don't know what the hell is going to happen there. Yeah, that's why, that's why I'm like, why not just keep, like, again, it's always like, in people's minds, it's like championship or blow it up. But I'm like, I think enough pieces this season could have fallen for the Seahawks to, like, do damage. But here's the thing with me. I don't think Russ is the same quarterback he was. I don't think this is the same Russell Wilson we know and love. And now what? I don't... Can I Can I, like, qualify what I just said? Absolutely. The finger injury, definitely a thing that bothered him. Mm-hmm. His offensive line has not been good. His, you know, he was. This was. Ever. This came out last year. This came out last year. Most sack quarterback in an eight in eight years. Well, Russell Wilson. Yeah, which. A, you don't think about that. Um, you sort of think about like sack quarterbacks, like luck, and. Um, I guess he just kind of played through it, but I don't know. It's just like okay, even if he's not like same Russ. Like, he's still got good enough weapons that he can be same Russ. Like, Metcalf, yeah, I, Metcalf's second season, Tyler Lockett, let's run it back. Draft people that can do things. Like, all you all you need is enough pe- Like, if you have a good draft and some favorable injuries. I mean, like, I guess. But, like, another thing with Russ, like, he hasn't been running the ball. Like he has been. That's what a part of that, that was like yeah. the danger part of Danger Russ was his running ability, which was just not there last season, which is I think is the most concerning. Mm-hmm. You know, um, but I, I just I, Seattle. I just I, I don't know unless like they draft, let's say Malik Willis at nine, unless he's suddenly awesome, which I mean I think is possible. Malik um, Willis is looking good. I think his ceiling is the highest out of any quarterback in this class. Yeah, definitely. His ceiling's like Russ-like. His ceiling's like, like top... I think he'd be a top quarterback in the league if things fall right. Mm-hmm. When, Cut, he's got like that like Russell Wilson like rushing type where it's not... He like runs like Russ does. It's not like a joystick Kyler. It's not like an awkward somehow gets yards like Mahomes. It's not a powerful like Josh Allen. It's like a normal running quarterback. And then he's got that moon ball. And, like, I think it helps that we've seen a blueprint for success with Malik Willis's type. It's like he has – I talked about this on my last podcast, Ad Nauseam. Just, like, he has the physical traits that increases your ceiling by a gazillion. I mean, like, when you look at a guy like – just quick draft tangent. When you look at a guy like Kenny Pickett, love his ability to read the field, final season at Pittsburgh – was had very good mechanics, but like the physical foundation, just it it it, uh, it objectively caps a quarterback ceiling. He doesn't. 
I, when I was watching draft combine stuff, I just like to look like how the ball comes out, like how the feet look and how the ball looks in the air. I guess like how the ball comes out, ball looks in the air, feet look. His balls looked a lot worse than the other quarterbacks. Worse as in like there wasn't enough mustard, like enough oomph? Like enough oomph, placement, just like I was expecting more. I also hmm. think that the small hands thing is going to be talked about at nauseum. And well, it, it, already has, be, it already has been. Trust me. I'm going to be so unbelievably like, – I will be sick of it like tomorrow. <laughs> um, um, okay, what we're we talking. Oh, okay. So if the Seahawks draft Malik Willis and he's suddenly awesome, cool. And mm-hmm. I have some picks as well. Um, I just don't see for Seattle in long term. Like unless they find a quarterback answer quickly, I just don't see positive scenarios. I think at least in the long gonna, term. I think they're going to end up stockpiling picks. I mean, yeah. I like, what what other direction do you, I? I again, I just think they're stuck. I think they can. I think they can stockpile picks, and essentially, the only person that I say staying long, see staying long term is DK. But you just have to keep DK healthy. Yeah, um, but like when Drew Locke sails a pass over his head for the fourth time in a game, that's inevitably going to be I don't frustrating. Think, I don't think they're going to end up with Drew Locke. I I hope they don't. I hope they don't. I really. I, I don't. I do not see. I would see them with Fitzpatrick more than Drew Locke. Yeah. Okay. Um, Denver, Denver. De- makes makes absolutely no sense. Can we both agree with this? It makes no sense. It makes no sense because you want to talk about. It makes no sense for two. Actually, there's three decisions made here. There's the Seahawks agreeing to the trade. There's Denver agreeing to the trade. There's Russell Wilson agreeing to the trade. The Denver Wilson. You know what? That makes sense at this point. The Denver-Wilson part of that side just doesn't make any sense to me because you're in a division where you're not winning football games for a long time. Like, we know, like, the NFC West is a tough division. Don't get me wrong. But it's like this year, NFC Open, AFC is locked. Like, unbelievably landlocked. And I don't think that Denver – I think that Denver has, like, different holes but the same amount of holes that the Seahawks do. I didn't see enough out of Jerry Judy when he was healthy. I know that Javante Williams is a solid running back, which Russ has missed for a very long time. Well, Chris Carson is really good. He's just, he's just never healthy, ever. Yeah. Um, we talked about this earlier. The like secondary is good, but linebacking core, defensive front could be yeah. improved. Yeah, uh, unless he gets that like crazy QB connection with Jerry Judy, I don't see it. I think the Chargers are only going to get better. I think who did the Raiders end up hiring as a head coach? I keep blanking on this. I don't need, I don't need, oh, um, Josh McDaniels. Gotcha. I think the Raiders are going to end up building a culture and, like, are just going to be a really annoying mid-team to face again. And the Chiefs are the Chiefs. I mean, yeah, I think that's a good point you bring up. Then look at the rest of the AFC. The Ravens are coming back. <laughs> the Steelers can only get better. Everyone forgets about the Ravens. 
It's yeah, like the Ravens like it. don't exist. It's like Lamar just doesn't exist anymore. Josh Allen's going to be here for a while. The pa- you can never count out the Patriots. Hey, the Bengals at- are going to be here now. Yeah, the, the Bengals are actually going to be here for a really long time with the big old caps that we've talked about at nauseum. If the Browns can figure out their offense, they're dangerous. Mm-hmm. It's just like I appreciate Denver for going for it now because I think this is – I guess this is their best shot to win. Like they're a better team right now than they were I, seven hours ago. I definitely agree. I just – I think that they have to build an absolute juggernaut and with the trade that they made, they are not a juggernaut. And it was weird because, like, I, I forgot what side I saw it on. Like, they, they had Denver at, like, the fifth best Super Bowl odds in the entire – not even in, like, the AFC, like, the entire league, which I was like, all right, they, they're, they're better. But ah, – I'm, liter- I'm literally taking – I'm taking the Chiefs over them. I'm taking the Bengals over them. I'm taking the Bills over them. I'm taking the Ravens over them. I think I'm even taking the Patriots over them. That's just in the AFC. I yeah, still yeah. even think that the Chargers are going to get better because jo- or Justin Herbert can only get better. And they've been building the right pieces around him. Like, their offensive line has vastly improved over the last few seasons. They just extended Mike Williams, who, like, has it in him to be a very good receiver. Keenan Allen is still there. Um, I mean, they're, they, they've built the right pieces around Justin Herbert. Again, yeah, he's, he's going to continue to get better. I think this move was based on the belief that Denver was a quarterback away. Yeah. From being Super Bowl contenders, like I believed last year, I was I've been tooting the horn all year. I thought Denver should have um, taken Justin Fields in the draft. Now with Denver, like there are absolutely positives, like the fact they didn't have to give up like Jerry Judy or Pat Sertain in the deal, like that's great, like mm-hmm. awesome. But at the same time, like you're gonna have to go through this ringer and a half of an AFC, and like I just don't think Denver is on the level of Kansas City. Or Buffalo, or Baltimore, or several other AFC teams. I just, I just don't think they're there yet now. And it's not like they have the draft picks anymore. <laughs> it's not like they can make any more moves. Like this was mm-hmm. their one big move, and again, they're a better team right now. But I don't, I just don't think they're better than a lot of the other teams in the AFC. Even though I still think they're again better, and I still think they're, I, th- I, th- I still think they're good. Mm, I just don't I... think it's, I just don't think it's good enough. I agree. I just, again, I think they're loaded. I think they would have been better just praying through the draft as every other team in the AFC is going to have to do now. Even the teams that have, like, restock, like, Kansas City is going to have to restock in, like, two years. But, yeah, I mean, but, I mean, like, when you look at, like, I just, mm -hmm. they just caught, they just got better at a very bad time. Yeah, it's... It's like when the Wizards traded for Westbrook almost. Was that the first one? Wait, did he go to the Rockets first or the Wizards first? He went to the Rockets first. Rockets. It's like the Rockets getting Westbrook. Like, Westbrook is playing well. Like, not at the peak of his powers. But it's like, I wouldn't do that trade because I don't think that that's going to take you over the top. I think you need a lot more than that. But they essentially traded as if they just needed that. To get them over the top. 
And I yeah. think that can get them into like wild card weekend. Yeah. <laughs> I don't even know. We forgot about the Colts. The Colts are like the Colts literally could run it back and go ten games. The Miami Dolphins lost seven one seven. Yeah. They have it they have it in them. I, I just like Oh, I don't God. think it was – this is this wasn't a lateral move for Denver. It's just considering everything else around them. It feels like a lateral move. It, it feels like a lateral move, unfortunately. Again, it literally is the Westbrook trade because it's like you still have Kevin Durant on the Warriors. Like you're beating them. Well, hold on. No, so Russ got – so well, Russ got traded before the 2019 season. 2019-20 season. What? Well, yeah. Is my memory just bad? I – I guess so. Hold on. No, I'm like pretty sure it was before the 2019 season. I'm going to look it up right now because I just remember him being oh, yeah, on the Durant Rockets only... for only one season and he was on the bubble team. Yeah. Yeah, it was 2019-20. And like, yeah, again, Russ played well. Like, he, aver- he was an all-star, averaged 27-8-7. Um, and Houston made it to the second round of the playoffs. But... Considering everyone else in their conference, I mean, the Lakers were a juggernaut, obviously. I, I just, ah, uh, I don't know. I, I just don't think there's, th- there are obviously scenarios where it's a win for, there. both teams have a scenario where it's a win, but I just, I, I just have a hard time seeing it right now. That is my conclusion. Mm-hmm. All right. And that's how we will end this episode. Well, thanks again for hopping on. I appreciate it. Always a pleasure. And uh, I will see you later, man. I will see you later. All right. Peace.